And we are back on This Week at the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer after a week-long hiatus. I'm Chris Quinn, editor with my colleagues Chris Warnowski, Jane Cahoon, and Laura Johnson. I missed you all. How are you? <laughs> We're I good. missed you desperately. And I'm sure you missed doing this podcast. <laughs> we were like at nine o'clock. We were like, oh my gosh. Like what, like when we normally record, we're like, what do we do with this time? What kills me is right before we left for the break, we hit this benchmark we'd been trying to get to for months. And now we have to get back to it because we don't have any audience for the past week. I really did not pay attention to the news at all while I was away. So at the end of the podcast, I'm going to be asking you guys to update me. Let's get started. How has Ohio avoided a coronavirus spike while other states surge? We all expected that when Ohio began reopening a month ago, all the health experts expected that we would see some sort of spike because people were out and about spreading the, the virus. We really have not seen it in Ohio at all. But other states, half the states in the country are going crazy with coronavirus hitting new highs. California, which had thought it was under control, is hitting its highest numbers. Laura Johnston, what are we doing right here? Well, Mary Kilpatrick talked to a lot of experts um, about this topic and across the country. She talked to folks at Harvard. She talked to people in Florida, Texas, and Arizona, which are some of the biggest hotspots. We've seen those pictures of, of spring break beaches in Florida, and it looks like they're happening again. And they all said pretty much the same thing. They credit Ohio leadership, specifically Governor Mike DeWine and former director of the Ohio Department of Health, Dr. Amy Acton. They shut down the state early, weeks before some other states. They opened businesses gradually, later than other states. And the entire time, they had this very clear data-driven messaging, which they explained to the public. For weeks every day, they showed Ohioans the numbers. They asked them to protect themselves. They preached mask wearing and hand washing and being kind to one another. And I, the experts say that really made a difference. Ohio might have actually flattened the curve. Did, did they say it had anything to do with the compliance with the requests that people wear masks? Because largely people are wearing masks. You always have the number of people that don't. But when you're out and about, I think all of us have noticed people are generally wearing them. Are people saying that Ohio has a high compliance rate with that, whereas other states might not? We don't have any statistics on that, but they definitely talked about masks and how the governor has set an example and Amy Acton set an example. Whereas in Florida, you had a whole bunch of doctors writing to the governor and saying, please make masks mandatory. And he wouldn't. And there's even this YouTube video of him like that he doesn't know how to wear a mask. And actually, we have a story going up today that Julie Washington wrote about a hairdresser in Missouri who had coronavirus and uh, treat and and styled the hair of like 140 people, but she was wearing a mask and all the customers were wearing masks. As far as they know, nobody got sick. So it is huge how important the mask is, you know, a total 180 from what they said it originally. You know, Jane Cahoon, we talked about Amy Acton when she resigned as health director. We wondered whether it was because she quietly had opposed the governor's rapid reopening of the state that she wasn't comfortable with it. There were some signs of that. And she was one of the people who had said, if you reopen too quickly, if you reopen, you're going to see an increase in cases and we hope to keep it under control. But we haven't seen any increase in cases, right? Pretty much, although well, we're seeing a couple of, of signs. We, we reported last week on a couple of hotspots that have popped up in southwest Ohio. 
and they're keeping an eye on those. Uh, one involves that dole plant where a bunch of workers got sick. Right. So there are, you, you know, there are a couple of troubling signs, but so far, you know, especially with hospitalizations, those have, you know, remained pretty flat. Yeah, okay. they, were, they said the um, five, I think it's five counties, but around Montgomery County and Dayton and Cincinnati and Hamilton County, the travel is higher than it has was even been before the coronavirus. And so we did a story on Northeast Ohio is still 20% lower than it was last year this time. So some places they are traveling more and that's where they're seeing higher numbers. Well, I did some traveling last week myself, <laughs> and I can tell you there were a lot of people traveling, a lot of traffic on the roads. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Has the once promising relationship deteriorated between mostly white Republicans in the Ohio State House and black lawmakers? Jane Cahoon, when the latest legislative body got together, we were all surprised that House Speaker Larry Householder and his Republican team seem to be working very closely with the black lawmakers on some of the things that were important to them. They all were talking about it was a big kumbaya moment, but that's pretty much gone now, right? It's it's in a shambles. Well, as the House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes put it, I don't think toxic is too strong of a word. As you said, it started off really promising. And in fact, the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus played an important role in helping give Larry Householder the speaker's gavel. And they started off, you know, working on some bipartisan legislation on issues like infant mortality and domestic violence and drug addiction. But then a couple of things happened. First, the the coronavirus. And as we know, that disproportionately affects African-Americans because of health disparities. And uh, but many in Householders Caucus were were in that camp that thought, you know, we're overreacting to this virus and they didn't want to wear masks. They were pushing back on Governor Mike DeWine's restrictions and trying to limit the health director's authority. So that rubbed uh, the Black Caucus the wrong way. And then, you know, now we have the George Floyd fallout and the nationwide protests and this this really highlighted how the black lawmakers say they haven't been heard. And they really wanted a strong statement from their colleagues saying racism is a public health crisis. But the resolutions in the House and the Senate haven't really gone anywhere. And as you probably recall, in the Senate, they had a hearing on it and during which a white Republican lawmaker made these ignorant, racist comments. And then in the House, one of the lawmakers there criticized the resolution by saying, you know, as an Italian-American, his skin was darker than members of the Black Caucus. And I mean, it's just really gone from yeah. bad to worse. And then there's the Confederate flag well, amendment. Before, and Before we get to the Confederate flag, because that's a little bit different. The, the you would have thought that because of the really stupid and, like you said, ignorant things that were said by members, that that the rest of the body would say, you know, we just can't let this stand. We can't look like this kind of body and done something, made a significant statement. Because by staying silent, they, they, they seem like they're supporting these people for, you know, for saying really horrible, ridiculous things at a time of of great 
change. So, so I was surprised at that. The Confederate flag issue is, is a much tougher one because they're trying to get county fairs, which are run by private boards, to outlaw the sale of Confederate flags. And the Republicans are arguing it's a free speech issue. It kind of is a free speech issue. So what, what, are, what are the Republicans supposed to do just, just for a symbolic gesture? Go ahead and do something that they know very likely would get thrown out in the courts? Well, I'd like to point out something that Laura Johnston pointed out last week, or not last week, but recently during our podcast, and that is that the Ohio State Fair banned it. So yeah, but that's but that's that's the fair board. So yeah. so the Cuyahoga County Fair Board could do that. They could say, "Hey, this is our policy." But if you start passing laws that limit the free speech rights of private boards, you're, you're, you're running up against it. I don't well, know. This that, is, oh, go ahead, Jane. Well, I was just going to say that during this debate, you know, you have to put yourself in the shoes of people like Juanita Brent, who was proposing this ban, who said, you know, I'm not even looked at as a human being under the Confederacy. Like, please treat me as a human being. And, it, you know, they, there's just a real the signal that it sends to the black lawmakers Look, I get, is I, really I, awful. I, I get it, but you are, but you are running up against a free speech issue. Look, there there are people that sell uh, Nazi paraphernalia that that is hugely offensive. That that's that's built into our constitution. That that you're allowed to say really hateful mean-spirited things. And the fair boards, I don't know, I don't believe they get public money, right? They're, they're, they're private. They do, they, this is Laura Johnston. They do get some state money. I can't tell you how much it is. It's, I think in the tens of thousands or, you know, it's not a ton of e- money. Each fair board gets tens of thousands of Maybe dollars. Tens of thousands. They get some money from the state because Mike DeWine was very clear that he wanted to give them the regular money and they weren't cutting it this year. So they do get some public All right, well money. Well then, okay, then 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 the legislature has the power. They could say you get no public money uh, uh if you allow the sales of these things and then you're not running up against a free speech issue. Go ahead, Chris Warnowski. Well, but think about how many how many laws this legislature passes that they know won't pass muster in the courts. Like how many abortion bans have we had in this state that have no chance of ever surviving court stuff. If you're going to take like a bold stance on something and you're in the legislature, then it shouldn't matter what your expectations of the judiciary are are going to be. Like, you know, it's just, it's strange to me that being anti-racist is such a, a hot button political liability for some people. Like some people are worried that being anti-racism is going to hurt their chances of getting reelected. Like this is, you know, I don't know. I look. You you can say that what they're doing is fear of anti-racism. I, you could also argue that as an elected legislator, you should not knowingly pass illegal laws. I mean, what you just said about the abortion laws as a rationale for for passing something that violates the First Amendment. It, you know, they shouldn't be passing any laws that they know to be illegal. But like, but, but Laura just had the out. I mean, you could easily say no public money can be spent on a fair where racist symbols and, are openly for sale. I mean, so they, I just they, looked this up. And I guess this year, because of the coronavirus, each county is getting $50,000 in state money if they conduct a junior fair and 15000 if they don't. So that's not so insignificant. 
So, so yeah, that- and I mean, let's put aside the whole Confederate flag thing. Even if, even if you take that out of the equation, that this relationship has totally deteriorated, and we have some of the white Republicans who are taking great offense at being, you know, characterized as racist. So that's a barrier to any kind of conversation. And there's just but they won't stand up. They, they can't even talk about it. And you know, they've called for bias training, which the Senate President Larry Abhoff said is going to happen, but Larry Householder hasn't committed to that. And, you know, you would think it's the least they could do to have some kind of sensitivity training to recognize their own implicit biases. And and Jane, you said it at the top, that making a uniform, bold statement about what this legislature stands for, that's something they can easily talk about. And the fact that that the the white Republicans are saying, I can't believe you're calling me racist. Like, well, then do something. Stand up. Do you know? Show show what you're made of. Show support for your colleagues. And I think that's probably why it's deteriorated so badly. They won't even take that step. You're listening to this week in the CLE. How is the Cuyahoga County Jail handling the coronavirus? Chris Ranowski, I was surprised. I got a. Uh, email from somebody at Metro Health Friday saying, hey, we might have a story for you. There's no more coronavirus in the jail. And of course, I was on vacation and directed them to Laura. What happened? How did they get on top of that? Because the last time I had checked in, they had 60 some cases. Well, if you'll remember way back when this started in what seems like two decades ago, um, there was a a very, very, very early effort to to get people out of the jail because the the county and the prosecutors and the public defenders knew that, you know, if you let people stay in the jail, it's going to get really bad. And so they they kind of they almost halved the the jail population and brought it down to sort of historic like recent historic lows. And as of Friday, they have no known positive cases among inmates in the jail. And but they but they had 61 cases less than a month ago. So what, what did did they what did they do? How did they I mean, there's still a thousand people in there. You still had 60 some people with it. Did did they just isolate everybody and, and do a lot of testing? How did they get rid of it? Yeah. So it was a, they expanded testing and contact tracing and then they isolated all of the sick inmates. And apparently now everybody's OK. God, I mean, that's something the state prisons could take a lesson from because, you know, they ran rampant in the state prisons. And it seems like Cuyahoga County Jail figured this out. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How far has former Ohio Republican Party chairman Matt Borges fallen out of favor with the party faithful? This is a guy who was always dead set against Donald Trump, and he is paying the price, Jane Cahoon. What's the latest with Matt Borges? Well, Matt Borges, as you might recall, was a loyal supporter of John Kasich, the former governor, and he had controlled the party up to a point. But then after Donald Trump was elected and Borges had been critical of him, he 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 wasn't always like dead set against Trump, but he criticized him. And so after the election, Trump's operatives ousted Borges and replaced him with Jane Timken as as chairman. So since then, Borges has been more and more critical of Trump. And in fact, he ended up establishing a super PAC that supports Joe Biden for for president. So that seemed to kind of be the last straw for the state party, which is 
as I said, all about reelecting Trump. So they, the central committee voted unanimously to censure him and they, they took away his chairman emeritus uh, title last week. He, he didn't seem that upset about it. <laughs> no, he didn't. I, I liked his quote. He said, I get the, that some folks are mad at me now, but when they look back, they'll just be mad at themselves. He said, the because... part, he said the party and the people in it are too good to have their standard bearer be, be Trump, who was so okay. bad. All right. So what's interesting to me about this is that this is a state where it's it's close. Uh, well, maybe it's not close now because Trump is so down in the polls. But say it's close. I, even though Borges was drummed out of the, the party leadership, he was the chairman of the party for a while. There are people, I think, that respect him. If he creates a pact that urges Republicans to vote Democratic, that could have a difference in Ohio, right? Because it gives an excuse to some people to not cast their ballot for the Republican president. And uh, because we're just keep saying he's a bad man. You know, does that have the potential to to change the outcome in Ohio? I don't know. I mean, the the party is so strongly behind Trump and they're going to put their whole machine behind him. I would not discount that. But who knows? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of Republicans out there who are just, you know, fed up with Trump. And I just don't know. And this this gives them this gives them some backing. They could say, well, you know, if Matt Borges and his crew are saying vote for Biden, you know, I got cover. I can vote for Biden because because there are Republican leaders who think it's a good idea. And, and no it's one a- knows what you do in the voting booth. So, <laughs> right. you know, you don't necessarily have to have cover. Right. We certainly didn't understand what they did in 2016. <laughs> You're listening to this week in the CLE. Is Ohio denying unemployment claims filed by people who refuse to return to work because they fear the coronavirus? This is something that had not been happening. There was a lot of leeway shown for people that did not want to go back to the workplace because they worried about getting sick. Something has changed, Jane Cahoon. What is it? Well, the uh, Governor Mike DeWine signed an executive order last week that, you know, you would be denied your benefits if you refuse to go back. But unless you meet one of several exceptions that, that would protect a lot of vulnerable people, if you're age 65 or older, you have a medical professional's recommendation that, that you're in a high risk, you know, vulnerable category. If you have tangible evidence that your employer is violating the safety rules, or you've been quarantined by a medical or health professional because you've been exposed, or you're staying home to care for a family member who is suffering from coronavirus or is quarantined. So it does protect people under under those circumstances. But, you know, there are still some concerns that, you know, how do you come up with tangible evidence that you're... Yeah, what is that? Not, you mean, know, what, is that like cell phone photos <laughs> of, you know, empty yeah. bottles of hand sanitizer? It's I mean, kind of difficult if you're, if you're not even willing to go back to, to be able to come up with this tangible evidence. But do you put a tape measure on the floor between the two (laughs) desks and say, Oh, it's only five feet. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's been tested yet. So, so who knows what, what the, the 65 and older thing kind of threw me, uh, that, that anybody 65 and older can automatically say, I'm afraid to go back to work and stay in unemployment. And is that just because people 65 and older are most vulnerable to the virus? 
I think so. I mean, the age correlation is so strong, although it's much greater for like 80 and older and 70 and older, but they do consider that kind of a cutoff where, where yes, you're considered higher risk. Yeah. I just, that, that went through me because it's, it just was a blanket. The rest of them made sense. If you have to take care of people who are sick or if you've been ordered to be quarantined or if a doctor says, hey, this person is really vulnerable to it because they you know, have no T cells or something. But the 65 and older, just the governor didn't really explain what he was thinking there. I don't know that he elaborated on that, but he said many times and his executive orders have spelled that out, his other you know, public health orders that you know, you should stay home if you're in this category. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What are the biggest stories from the past week when This Week in the CLE was on hiatus and I was on vacation? This is this is a good conversation to have. This is where I get caught up on the news. So I'm hoping Chris Warnowski, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, you can fill me in with the big stories I missed. Chris, let's start with you. What did I miss? Oh, well, you did miss a, a Corey Schaefer had a really great story about a video that attorneys for a gentleman released of, of an arrest. And uh, it was a pretty violent arrest involving uh, the Garfield Heights Police Department. And, and there's a lawsuit attached to it now. And and by by the end of the week, the the chief of police announced that he was going to retire and said that it that having to respond to the the fallout of that video did have something to do with it but you know he continued to defend his officers and and it's a great story if if people missed it last week they should go back and uh judging by how many people read it i don't think anybody missed it but it it, it was definitely uh, uh one of the the better stories we had last week the other one that came out of your team that that blew me away and i i think Corey did this one too maybe not um, was the kid that had his eye taken out by the beanbag and the video clip that shows him just walking down the street when he gets shot by a cop with the beanbag yeah. and it took out his eye. That video clip is horrifying. He's doing nothing. He's just, he's almost skipping. It's, he's, he's not threatening in any way and he loses his eye. What, yeah. What, what? yeah. You have to imagine that, you know, it, it's, I mean, you're seeing this in, in, in these demonstrations all over the country right now and, and really all over the world where, you know, he, you, you have people who are just kind of there getting getting caught up in the the crossfire and the fallout of, of you know, some uh, some overly aggressive police tactics. Uh, but he was alone. He, there yeah. weren't other people around him. So the officer took aim at a non-threatening kid walking down the street. And and took his eye out. Did the city? It, I read the story. The city really didn't have much to say because there's going to be a lawsuit. They're going to end up paying uh, that kid a bundle. It's going to be hard because you. Who are you going to? I mean, they don't have any evidence of who did it. Like you, you can't tell well, what police officer did it. What agent? You know, what agency that police officer belongs to? I, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions right now, and and and, and so. You know, I think, I mean, they've retained an attorney and, and, you know, they're doing all the things that usually happens in this, but I think it's going to be, I don't know how easy a legal fight's going to be, but man, like, it, man, it was, what a thoroughly it, depressing story. I mean, you feel bad for that so kid. You sad. just went down yeah. there to sort of observe, I think a lot of us, you know, you go down and you go, well, this is historic and I want to, I want to see it. And I, you know, and he was, you know, into photography and, you know, I mean. And and just to have something like this happen is is just 
it's sad and 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 you you hate to see it and yeah it's a good story mm-hmm. all right jane cahoon what did i miss well you missed a couple of significant rulings out of the u.s supreme court which is controlled by conservatives so perhaps these were surprising one was a six to three ruling that lgbtq people are protected against employment discrimination by federal civil rights law Okay, now so, I I was on vacation, but my head wasn't in the sand where I was. <laughs> I did not miss that story. Well, that was a huge said, story. Okay, all right. Well, this affects about a half a million people in Ohio, and certainly it was cheered by the advocates. However, Ohio is still a place where you can discriminate against gay and transgender people in things like housing and public accommodations. So. Once again, they're still pushing for this Ohio Fairness Act, which has strong support from the business community, but is still stalling in the Ohio legislature, which just whose majority just isn't friendly to LGBTQ rights. And will um, the Supreme Court ruling move that forward, do you think, since it's clear that the highest court in the land believes the way it does? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I just I mean, this legislation has been sitting around for so long, and and if they're not going to move on it when the business community gets behind it, like, are they ever going to move on it? Who who knows, you know? But the advocates say this extra layer of protection is is really needed. So so they're going to fight. We'll see. And then the other one, just real quick, was uh, the DACA ruling out of the Supreme Court that. Um, Shot yeah, down the Trump administration trying to end that program that was created by Barack Obama. And that affects um, a lot of young people who were brought here as minors from other countries illegally. And they've been protected and able to get an education. And Mary Kilpatrick in- interviewed a, a Case Western senior who was one of those and uh, who's very relieved at the moment. And I think they're hoping that Trump can't you know, go about trying to eliminate it before he, you know, before they get him out of office. That's that's the hope on one side anyway. Yeah, they were both stunning rulings. I and that Neil Gorsuch wrote the first one. Yeah, <laughs> just, how about that? yeah, what a what an interesting uh Supreme Court. It's almost like they they're I mean Trump was not happy about those. Laura Johnson, what do you have? I thought the uh, fact that Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish is proposing a taxpayer bailout of at least $7.9 million for the county-owned Hilton Hotel is a pretty big deal. It could be $20.7 million if bookings don't rebound this year. So, you know, right, we've okay. talked a lot. I, I completely missed this. So, <laughs> so what's, he, what's he doing? He's giving so, $7.9 million to the Hilton Hotel? Yeah, because it's it's owned by the county and um, a subsidy would cover $1.4 million in property taxes, which would go mostly back to the, well, a lot back to the county and $6.5 million in debt payments um, because they haven't made any money. And the county owns this hotel. You remember it's where the county administration building stood and it was built in Kalung conglomeration with the convention center and the med mart and we all know how well that one's turned out right so, so this- who but who gets the money i mean is it the operator of the thing gets the money or is it just the the county giving the money to itself well it's going to cover property taxes so that's going to go back to governments and then debt payments so i'm not sure exactly who that's going to if it's who would pay the property taxes if the county the operators wow so he's given money away to to the hilton Yes. Wow. And and the county council is going along with this? 
I don't think they voted on it yet. Uh, that was the proposal. It came out about midweek, maybe came out Thursday last week. Uh, so that, that'll probably get some more discussion. But what's interesting, I mean, this is happening at a time where they're laying off people. I mean, they just laid, laid off some jail guards because the union didn't agree to the furloughs and they've had to cut wages and, and hurt their staff. And then they're going to give a huge chunk of money away because, you know, they have this deal that nobody, you know, we wow. saw the coronavirus. I'm coming. stunned by that because I don't think the county has done anything to help out Metro Health Hospital, which has lost a bunch of money to the coronavirus scandal and is, is the county owned hospital. So we're giving money to the Hilton Hotel people. We're not giving it to the public hospital. It just—that's—that's a, that's a stunner. I did miss that one. I'll have to go back and read that one um, and get get you up. Got to him, speed. Laura. That's a good one. All right. Well, that's uh, that, that's not bad. You're listening to this week in the CLE. All right, not a bad way to start. Man, I should do this. What stories did I miss every week? That was like the best part of that whole conversation. That was kind of fun. Yeah, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you all brought it to that. Well, thank you. Laura, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This week in the CLE, we'll be back tomorrow.